our text for tonight is out of Zechariah chapter 8, Zealous for Zion, right? So that goes right along with the, the video. Israel, a trip to Israel, starting verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. I will guess what song we're going to be singing after the sermon tonight, right? During the song service, right? I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. This is God speaking. The Lord says, I am zealous. He is on fire for Zion with a great zeal. Zealous Zion zeal, right? I like that. Z, 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 right? With great fervor, I am zealous for her. So who is Zion? Well, Zion goes back even to Moses' day, this, this phrase of Zion. So it predates the city of Jerusalem, although it means is a, is a reference to the city of Jerusalem. And in this chapter, that's the context. It's also for all of Israel, greater Israel, Zion applies to that as well. But also to the people. And God is zealous for all three of those things, for the land and for the people. Really, because a land and a city without people is not much of anything, is it? And so he's zealous for his people, he cares for Zion, and he has great zeal for it, but also that we have a place to dwell, all right? Because people without a place to dwell, just wandering around, and so God has a resting place, and he is zealous for it with great zeal. So again, he puts great importance on the people as well as upon the city. And we'll see that in this chapter today, but we see in other portions of the Bible as well. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So again, in context, he's talking about Zion here as this city, but again, a city filled with people. And he's saying he's going to return to Zion. So he's coming back to Zion. He's coming back to Jerusalem, and he's encouraging the exiles to come back. Some have already come back, working very hard, but he's encouraging others, and he's giving these promises throughout Zechariah. Continue to build the temple. Continue to build the city. Continue to build Jerusalem. Continue to build the country. I am on your side. You will have success. It was a very difficult time. And God encourages us to continue to build in these last days, to continue to build up the, the people of God. The city of God here on earth, so that the city of God in heaven will be filled with his children. He promises to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. He said, I will give you the dimensions to build a sanctuary so that I may dwell with you. God wants to be with us. What an amazing God we have. No other God like it in any book, in any theory, in any religion. A God who wants to be very, very, very close to us. He wants to dwell in our midst. Yeshua left heaven and came down to this earth to dwell among us, to walk with us, not only among us, but in our flesh, to know our feelings, to know our emotions, to know our temptations, to know what it is like. He comes and draws very close to us. And he doesn't just want to be with us, beside us. We don't want to have just a relationship with him. We hear that term batted around a lot. How is your relationship with God? We want, he wants much more than a relationship. And that, that phrase, that, that analogy, it falls so short of what God wants to have for us. He wants to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of the city, in the midst of his people, in the midst of us individually. He wants to come inside us and live inside us. That's how close, that's how intimate he wants to be with us. 
He wants to fill our hearts and our minds with his spirit and live in us and out of us. What a loving God. That he wants to give us the power from within to live a righteous life, a holy life. To experience the, the Holy Spirit within. To experience the joy within, the peace within. The power from God's, from heaven living inside us and out of us. He will dwell in our midst. And he calls the city the city of truth. God, God's foundation is on truth. There is no city without truth. There is no lasting peace. There is no lasting foundation. There is no lasting prosperity unless we have a foundation of truth. As a people, as a society, certainly as far as heaven, as godliness, without a foundation of truth. Thus it is the city of truth. It is Jerusalem, the city of peace. Yerushalayim, Yerushalam, Shalom, city of peace, but also the city of truth, God's holy mountain, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the Lord, the Lord of our, our, all the armies of heaven, the mountain of him, his foundation, his, his resting place, where he lays his feet where he stands upon the center of it all. Now, yes, God loves the world. Yes, God loves everyone. Yes, he loves every city. But he's called this city his holy city, where he chose to place his temple, where he chose to place his tabernacle, where he chose to place his commandments, where he chose to make the capital of Israel the overcomers with God. But it doesn't make it any better than any other place. It's just where God has placed the center. And everything radiates from there. Kind of like in a body. We have the heart. Right? You can't live without a heart. And the heart feeds the rest of the body. Every cell, every nerve throughout the rest of the body is fed from the blood that comes out of the heart. So the heart is so central. I was in the heart of the city, right? The, the very midst of it, the very center of it. Hey, it's so important, the heart. But how important would the heart be if you took it out and you laid it on a table? How good would it be without a brain? Without a mouth to feed, without a stomach to, to eat and receive nourishment, without a nose and, and lungs to bring oxygen to it? How long would the heart last? Anyone know? I don't know. Not very long, though. <laughs> Not too long. So the heart is dependent on all the rest of the body, but the rest of the body is also dependent on the heart. And so from the midst, God chose that city to place, again, his law, to have his holy Shekinah glory there for the purpose of from that center spot to disseminate his truth, to disseminate his life, disseminate his blood to all the rest of the world. And so this is where he chose to send it forth from. Thus he chose it as a special place. And he's promising to return to Zion. So he chased him away. His people were in exile. So he left also. Desolate place. But he promised to return. And he did. And it came to pass. It's a wonderful promise. He says, I will return and I will come and dwell there. And he did. 
Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with the staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. It's a wonderful promise. People are looking at the city. The walls are still broken down. We're still just working on getting the temple up. We don't have the walls. The farms are still filled with rocks and weeds. Our homes are not finished yet. We're few in number. We're surrounded by enemies who don't want us here. But a wonderful promise. Don't worry, this city, the temple will be built. This city will be full. In other chapters, he says, overflowing. The city will be filled with people who live to great age. To such age and such peace and prosperity. You don't live to old age in, in, in the middle of war and famine and disease. He's promising here peace and prosperity and health. And they'll be living there at great age. So much so that some won't even be able to walk. They'll have the staffs to help them walk. They'll be there because of great age. And yet also there'll be young people. And they won't just be young people working and toiling. No, they'll be singing and they'll be dancing and they'll be playing in the streets. Prosperity, peace, joy, happiness will enter into Jerusalem. And certainly it happened. God brought it to pass. The temple was rebuilt. The temple did get populated. Some more people came from Babylon and came back. Others were born there. And the city and the country came to life again. And then continued on. We had other attacks. And then the Maccabees come along and rededicate the temple. Again, another time of prosperity and joy and happiness. The Romans come along, destroy the city again, disperse us again. But now again today, miraculously again, God has brought us back to the city. God has brought us back to the country. And again, now Jerusalem is filled with old people and young people. And we've been there. And we've seen old people, but we've seen young people dancing in the streets. We've seen young children going down to the Western Wall and gathering in their groups on a Friday night, singing together, rejoicing together, worshiping God together. It's a beautiful scene. It's an amazing scene to experience. A living city filled with Life and hope and joy and peace. Even in the midst of troublesome times, God's promises come to pass. Right? And so as we read these passages and we see these things and we look at these things, it's a good reminder that just as these promises, this is when Zechariah wrote it, it was still a promise. When Zechariah wrote it, it was still a miracle if it would take place. And just as God fulfilled this promise, he fulfills all his promises. He fulfills his promise in your life. The word of God will come true. He has promised to each one of us. His promise of a heaven, a new heavens and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. His promise of prosperity in our lives as we follow his word and his promise of peace in our hearts in the midst of troubles. His promise of victory over sin, his forgiveness of sins. All the promises of God we can claim them and we can know they are true because ones like these physically came to pass. So we can understand and believe the spiritual ones and the by-faith ones because we see the ones that had physical fulfillment were fulfilled as well. We can have, we have a firm faith in the strong word of God. Not just total blind faith. We have reason to believe what we believe because God has come through 100% of the time.
He is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. If you think it's a great thing that the city will be rebuilt and people will live long time there and that young people will rejoice and dance in the streets instead of scouring for food and stealing for food and having to fight in wars, if you think that's a marvelous thing, how much more so will I think it's a great thing? That the city will be established, that God's truth will go forth. It'll be a mountain of truth. It'll spread to all the world. You think that's a great thing? God says, I think it's even, I'll think it's even better. I'll rejoice even more. Why? Because God is touched with the feelings of our emotions. He loves us. And he cares about us more than we can care about ourselves. There are times in the life of a parent where they are even happier for the kid than the kid is happy themselves. But most often when we're happy about something and we call someone up on the phone, hey, this great thing has happened to me and you share it with them and whether it's a parent or a child or a brother or a friend, usually they don't have, aren't as excited as you are about it. Hey, you got the new car, hey, I'm happy for you. You know, you got this new thing, you got this new apartment, you got this new house, I'm happy for you. But not as happy as you are about it, usually. But God says, I am even happier. Do you think it's a marvelous thing? How much more so, how much more marvelous in my eyes will it be? Because God's happy for us. He's more happy for us than he is for himself. That's why he was willing to suffer for us. He gave up his joys so that we might have joy. He sacrificed for us because he's more concerned for us than he is about himself. He's more concerned for us than we are concerned for ourselves. If we were as concerned about ourselves as he is concerned about us, we'd be following every jot and tittle all the time with fervor. Because he knows that everything he's given to us, everything he's written for us, is for our own benefit, not for his benefit, not for anyone else's benefit primarily, but for our benefit. Each of us individually, and then corporately. And then, of course, heaven rejoices when we're rejoicing. He cries when we cry, and he rejoices when we rejoice. And I think he feels our pain more than we feel it, physically and emotionally. Yeah, and sometimes a parent will feel even more hurt for a child than the child that realizes how bad it is. But he also rejoices more. He is happy for us. He loves us. What a God. He wants to be with us, wants to dwell with us, wants to dwell inside us, and rejoices for us so much. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we serve. What a loving God we have. Can't imagine. We can't picture, you can't make that up. It's beyond comprehension, such a God as this. Verse 7, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, says the and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness.
She promises to save us. He will save our people. He will save his people. He will save us. Through Yeshua, our salvation, he has come to save us from our sins, from our enemies, from ourselves, from the land of Babylon, from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, from confusion. He has come forth to save us, to deliver us from the things of this world, from the lust of this world, from the selfishness and the greed of this world, from the destruction of our own bodies and our own minds and our own health. He has come to save us and deliver us. He's come to save and deliver us from death and give us everlasting life. I will save my people. I will bring them back. I will dwell again, as he says several times here, in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of his people. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What a tender expression. We are his. He is ours. He is our beloved. He marries us. He adopts us. He names us after himself. He takes us into his family, the family of God. Not because we deserve it, but because of his great love. Not because we've earned it, but because of his great love for us. You are my people, he says. I'm Israel, the people of Israel people of God, claims us as his own. And what type of people? In truth and in righteousness. She says, you shall be my people and I will be your God. In truth, truthfully, just as I promised these things and it came to pass, so also truthfully, you will be mine. But also in truth. He's a God of truth. And he becomes our God and we become his people, becomes our Lord in a truthful way, in a righteous way. There is truth and God's city is founded on truth and his righteousness is founded on truth and his commitment to us is founded on truth, unyielding principles, steadfast laws, an unchangeable God. fulfilling his promises, not backing out of them in any way, shape, or form, in truth and done the right way, in a righteous way, in a godly way, in a good way. In truth and in righteousness, he adopts us and calls us onto himself. Faithful and true. Not some power-hungry God that says, you are mine, and captures us and holds us in captivity, and enslaves us onto himself. Not for a power trip, but in truth and in righteous way, he makes us his own. Loving us, placing us above himself. True love, unselfish love, unconditional love, but still based on truth, and based on his righteousness. Because he cannot lie. And there's no false, false, uh, there's no falseness, I don't know if that's not a word, but there's no falseness in him. 
There's nothing false about him. Everything he says is right and good and true and firm and dependable. Trustworthy in truth. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hand be strong. You who have been hearing in these days, these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the days, the foundation was spoken the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts at the temple might be built for before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. I set all my men, everyone against his neighbor. So he encourages us to be strong. He'd been sending these prophets to remind us to keep building, keep building, keep building. And we need to keep on moving on. We need to be strong and endure to the end. We need to build up the people of God here on earth. The truth of God here on earth in righteousness. And before the temple was started to be rebuilt, it was trouble sometimes. Before those days, there was no wages. There was no peace. The enemies were attacking us. And everyone against his neighbor. And before we received the fulfillment of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, there will also be a troublesome time. No wages. People will not be able to buy or sell if they're following the Lord. There'll be no peace on the earth. The enemy will be going forth and everyone will be against his neighbor. Parents will betray children. Children will betray parents. Brother will betray sister and sister against brother. Troublesome time. Before God ushers in his eternal peace. He will usher it in. We will have a new heaven, new earth. We will dwell righteously with him forever, for eternity. But before that, just like here, the troublesome time will come. We've seen that over and over and over again. History will repeat itself. Before they were able to rebuild, it was a troublesome time. Before Jerusalem, modern Israel was able to be rebuilt, the Holocaust, a troublesome time. Before he returns again, there'll be a troublesome time. Take us to the mansions he's preparing for us. There'll be a troublesome time. But he will see us through, just as he has seen them through time and time and time again. History repeating itself, repeating itself, repeating itself. Before we entered into the promised land and received Israel, we were in Egypt and in bondage. Troublesome time before the deliverance. But the deliverance will come and does come. Endure to the end. Hold on by faith. Brace yourselves. Be prepared. Trust in the Lord. Verse 11. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of these people, I will cause the remnant of, these, of this people to possess all of these. Heaven will be better than anything we can imagine. This old earth will be transformed in a way beautiful, more beautiful than anything we can ever imagine. We'll have increase, we'll have fruit, 
will have vines, the seeds will prosper, things will grow. Not just weeds as now, but we'll plant and they'll grow and they'll prosper. And we will benefit from it. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Israel and house of Judah, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Promises to make us a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Second time in this chapter, be strong. Let your hands be strong. Do not fear. Now, why would he tell us do not fear? Unless there's going to be good reason to fear. And there will be good reason to fear. But nonetheless, don't fear. By sight, by human knowledge, by human reasoning, there'll be plenty of reason to fear. But don't fear. Because by faith, we have the promises of God. We have the history of God. He will see us through. He will endure to the end. And I mean, what could be the worst they could do to us? Kill us? Right? Big deal. That's the best they can do. That's the worst they can do. That's the most they can do. So what? We're just passing through here anyway. We're looking for a better place anyway. Not so thrilled with these old bodies anyway. Not so thrilled with this old earth anyway. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, not this old Jerusalem, not this old world. God has a better one in store. So don't fear. Fear the Lord. And when we fear the Lord, we don't have to worry and fear the things of this earth because this stuff doesn't matter. They can take our stuff, they can take our health, they can take our lives. It doesn't matter. Don't fear. But be strong. We'll have to be strong in the Lord, in his strength, in his might, because he's dwelling in us, because he's dwelling in our midst. Thus we need his strength. And he will give us the strength we need to be strong. You don't have to be strong in an easy time. But he tells us, be strong, be strong. Let your hands be strong in doing the work of the Lord in being a blessing. He calls us to be a blessing. In the midst of the enemies, be a blessing. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent, so again in these days I am determined to do good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah, second time, do not fear. I plan to do good to you. Do not fear. Be strong. Be strong. Be a blessing. God wants to make us a blessing. Whatever you're fearing today, whatever problems, whatever's there in your current situation, you're reading the news, there's plenty to fear. Fearing for the future, fearing it might come near us. But do not fear. Be a blessing. Pray for God's Spirit to fill you and make you a blessing.
in sharing his salvation, in sharing his love, in sharing his truth in righteousness, in being a holy mountain, in being a city of peace, in being a city of truth. Be a blessing. And not fearing. We can't be much of a blessing if we're afraid. If we're running and hiding our heads in the sand, we can't be much of a blessing. If we're running and cowering, oh no, they don't want to hear it. Oh no, they don't want to know. Oh no, they threaten to hurt me if I keep on telling them about the Lord. Oh, we're not going to be much of a blessing that way. Don't fear and be a blessing. And so how do we be a blessing? Well, the next verse tells us. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. So one of the first things that we can do to be a blessing is to speak truth. Where do we get truth? From God's word. Where he's deposited his truth. In the city of truth. Where he deposited his word. Where he deposited his law. Where he deposited his sanctuary. Where the law and the gospel meet together. Where Yeshua came and lived out the law. Where Yeshua came and died for the penalty of the law. Where Yeshua was raised from the dead. God's truth, his law and the gospel blended together, brought together, telling the truth to his neighbor, not hiding, not running, not denying him before man, but being strong and not fearing and telling the truth. Two, give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. We need to have a truthful justice. A justice system that determines between right and wrong, truth and error, good and bad. That delineates what is right and what is wrong. And is just. Be willing to tell it. Not fearing, not hiding, nor softening, nor watering it down. No, with justice, truth, judgment, not everyone goes to heaven. Not you live how you want and God loves it anyway. No, God is a God of truth. And there is truth. And there is wrong. There are lies. There are falsehoods. And God's whole truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help us God. That's a good line. I like that line. <laughs> Maybe I should patent that or something like that, right? Maybe someone will copy it somewhere and use it somewhere, right? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what God calls for from us. How much more the judicial system, how much more from the people of God that we should tell the truth, the whole truth, not just pieces here and there, not just your truth, my truth, his truth, but God's truth, the whole truth, Genesis to Revelation truth, the whole gamut, the law and the gospel, the whole truth. Justification and sanctification, all of it blended together. Righteous truth, merciful truth, gracious truth, all the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but it, and by God's grace. So help us, God. So empower us, God. So strengthen us, God. Make our hands strong for you. Going forth from victory to victory, building the house of the Lord. 
Yeshua as the chief cornerstone, living people, living stones, building up the walls, a living temple for God. Three, let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. So as we tell the truth in a loving way, with loving hearts, that don't think evil about them as we tell the truth. We can condemn the sin, but not the person. We can hate the sin, but not the person. With no evil, no hatred, no judgment, condemning, putting down, claiming to know motives. No, but loving. Tears in our hearts, loving as Yeshua did, willing to die for that person eternally, if necessary, so that they can get into heaven. That's the type of love Yeshua had, and that's the type of love he'll place in our hearts when he dwells in our midst. That we will plead the truth with them with such love. And Lord, blot my name out if you can't bring them into heaven. Give them my spot if that's what it takes. No hatred. He can remove the hatred from us. He can remove the racism and the prejudice out of our hearts. The better than they attitude. The looking down upon. None of us are good. There's no righteousness in any one of us. God is only good. Always and forever. He comes and dwells in us, he cleanses us, and he removes the sins out of us, and he begins to live his righteousness in us and out of us. But it's still his righteousness, not our own. So it is him that is righteous living out of us when we do good. So we're no better than anyone else. No hatred, but still truth. The world has a hard time balancing those two things out. Even among so-called godly people, they have a hard time balancing those things out. They think to be loving, then we can't condemn. They're loving, then we can't call sin, sin. To be loving, well, then just continue to live whatever lifestyle you want. Do whatever you want. Whatever feels good, do it. No, that's not truth. And that's not loving. It's a lie. That'll lead them to hell. And so it's not loving. But also hating is not loving either. Looking down on is not loving either. Accusing of motives is not loving either. Getting angry with them is not loving either. It's a balance. Be able to tell the truth. Point out error, point out confusion, point out sin. Point out disobedience to God. Point out what is not good for them. But in a loving way, by first having love for them, individually, the people. And start by starting the process on ourselves first. Number four, do not love a false oath. God hates those things. He hates false oaths. He hates evil in our hearts. Don't lie to yourself. 
lie to ourselves about our own condition, face ourselves, let God convict us, face our own reality of how we are individually and corporately. Call sin, sin in our own lives first. No false oath, no false promises. God, I will, I will, I will. No, by God's grace, Lord, make me strong to do your will. No false promises to others. No false oaths. And no falsehood. No false doctrines. No sharing of confusion. No dividing the word of God. No eliminating one portion in order to change it. No, the whole truth. No falsehood. Share God's truth because God hates falsehood. So that's our calling. Be the people of God. For him to dwell in our midst. To be his people. To be his children. For him to be our God. For him to dwell in our midst. For him to make us a blessing. For to dwell in the city of truth. In an atmosphere of truth. In an atmosphere of righteousness. On his holy mountain. On his word. Lifted up. On a foundation of peace. And of righteousness. Strong in the Lord. Not fearing. But going forth. And telling God's truth. With love. Without any evil. Without any hatred. Telling his truth. Bringing about justice. Judgment. Righteousness. And peace. That's what he's called us to in these last days. In these times of troubles that are coming. So we can experience the promise of prosperity and fruit out of the tree of life. And water from the river of life. And a home in the new Jerusalem. And a country home as well. In God's presence. Forever and ever. As we pray together, in a moment, whatever area applies to your life, if you're fearful about something, if you're fearful about the future, surrender it to the Lord. He will hold you fast. He will see you through. Maybe as a martyr, <laughs> but eternity we will see us through. We might die on this earth, but he'll see us through as we trust in him. So don't fear the things of this world. Don't fear the life on this earth. Trust in him. If you're fearful of finances or health, fearful of some enemy, and you're hiding away God's truth, be strong in the Lord and do not fear. If you want to be a blessing, in a moment when we pray, ask God to make you a blessing, to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to use you in blessing other people and sharing his truth in love and in righteousness.
if you have a burden for Jerusalem, if you have a burden for Zion, for both the city and the people there, the Jewish people, Israel, as well as the greater Zion, God's people all around the world, all the people who love him, all the people who've chosen him, all the people who've united with his people, all the people who've heard his truth and have accepted his truth and stand on his truth and in righteousness. In a moment when we pray, let us pray for all of God's people for the troublesome times that are coming. If you want to pray and allow the Lord to use you, if there's hatred in your heart, you want him to give you love. You want him to remove the hatred, you want him to remove the evil. Some sin in your life, some area in your life. You want to allow him to examine you and show you what's there so you can prepare for these last days so that there can be no spot or wrinkle, so the devil does not have any whole, a foothold in your life to condemn you with. And in the moment when we pray, surrender it to the Lord, ask the Lord to give you conviction and to show you right from wrong and to lead you in his way everlasting. If any of those areas apply to you, let's ask God to work his will in our hearts and in our minds. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, build up your city of truth in our hearts and in our lives, in our midst and in this world, and use us in making us a blessing to help that to, be, to, to come to pass. Remove all fear out of our hearts and minds, remove all evil, remove all hatred, remove all jealousy and all pride and self-exaltation. Give us strength to be strong in you. Dwell in our midst, dwell in our hearts, dwell in our minds, and live in us and out of us for your honor and your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.